0: I want to thank the kids' ministry and our worship ministry. Dad's Root Beer is hard to find nowadays, so uh, they found it for for us, for us, so anyway. Well, thank you, kids. Let's give the kids a hand for helping out. And as always, our awesome kids' volunteers, we love the people who care and invest in our lives of our, of our young ones. So, wait, did I see a mom drinking a Dad's Root Beer over there? Really? <laughs> That's all right, I won't call anyone else out. All right, uh, let's pray as we jump into the word. God, we thank you for today. Thank you for, uh, just for the, the fact that we can laugh and experience joy. And uh, Lord, that's really what it is about following you, that you bring abundant life in many ways. And give us the ability to not have to take ourselves so serious because we are secure in who you've made us and the life you've given us. So thank you for that. And we pray this morning as we look into your word, God, would this be all about you and teach us, transform us into a community of people who love you, who follow you, and are joining with you in what you're doing in our community. We thank you and give you this time. Amen. All right, I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. We are in chapter 6. So we are almost done with this series. We have this week and next, and we will conclude this book that we started last fall. And as a way of reminder, Paul, as he writes this, begins the letter with this bigger view. It's kind of a cosmic view of what God is up to in the mission of God. So he starts and the first three chapters are all about how God has set up this the and how he initiates his friendship with his creation and how he has given us our identity and he gives us reason and purpose and and forgiveness and all of these things and it's a set up on this cosmic level of how God is working to restore and redeem his creation and then in chapter 4 he takes this, a turn and it gets a little smaller and talks about this global gathering of people who are followers of christ and he talks about the church and our relationship with one another within the church and how god invites us as followers of jesus to participate in the greater mission that he has initiated and then paul takes a a turn and makes it even smaller and, and deals with the individual relationships and the everyday life stuff that we go through. The husband and wife relationships, the parents and kids and the workplace as, as employers and employees and all of these things is kind of the structure of the book. So it starts off with this bigger view of God's plan, the smaller view of how the church participates, and even the smaller view of how this plays out as a follower of Jesus in your everyday life. And so with this, Paul makes that kind of view of the book. Now, the last week, this week, and next, he ends it by talking about, hey, I've just given you a picture of what God's up to and how you can participate. And then he pauses and says, but I want you to know this is not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy to follow Christ and to participate with God in his mission. It's not going to be easy for the church, this global collection of people who are loyal to Jesus, to interact with one another in loving ways and use their gifts and, and participate with God's, what God's doing. It's not going to be easy. So you need to be prepared. I think of it, when when I was in, I I played two sports growing up, baseball and basketball for the most part, and I remember in elementary school, our team had a, our school had a basketball team, and we tried out for the team, and you need five people on the, on the court for a basketball game, and we had five people try out for the team that year, and, and four made it, and so, um, (laughs) okay, never mind, and anyway, (laughs) So we all made the team, but the thing that started off right away was we were told there's only five of you. That means there's no tr- trouble with playing time. You all will play every game, all game, unless you get fouled out, which happened a few times when we finished the game with just four. But he's, So we knew from the beginning you have to be in better shape than everyone, and you have to really know how to work together and interact with one another because the road ahead is going to be very difficult. It's going to be tough. So we have to prepare. Now, that happened to be, of all my years playing basketball, the best team I was ever on statistically. We, we lost the championship game on the final shot somehow. And, and, but, you know, I still have the trophy. It's pretty cool if you want to see it. So, um, <laughs> but the point of that was we knew what was coming. See, Paul, after writing and saying what the whole mission is, what God's up to and how we participate, he's paused and said, but I need you to know I'm not so naive to think that it's going to be easy. See, because you're living in a world in which the enemy of God does not want the people of God to participate in the mission of God. See, the enemies of God do not want the people of God to participate in the mission of God. Because think of it, when the people of God, when those who are loyal to Jesus join with Him and start to live out His ways and His words, when we start to take care of the poor and the hurting and we lean into the injustices in the world, when we invest in marriages and strengthen the family and try to raise our kids in godly ways, in ways that they can grow up balanced and knowing Jesus, and and when we try to be the type of people in the workforce that that work as if unto the Lord and lead others with a heart of humility, humility, and service, when we are those kind of people, it makes God look good. And there's nothing more damaging to the enemies of God, to Satan, than to have God being glorified and shown in great light. So as Paul gives us instructions and says, here's how it looks to be a follower of Jesus, I want you to know that there's enemies of God that want to thwart your living for Him. They want to make it difficult. They want to attack your your beliefs and your heart and your emotions and all of these things because it's difficult. And so Paul ends last week, this week, and next. We're going to look at this idea that says, when Paul says, it's not going to be easy, so let's be prepared. Let's be prepared. So with that in mind, today we're going to look at this passage. And we're going to pick it up in verse 10. We looked at that last week, but there's a couple things to re- be reminded of before we get into the rest of today's text. He starts off in Ephesians 6:10, says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the powers, and against the world forces of darkness and the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and, have, and having done everything to stand firm. So Paul begins with this and says the road is going to be tough because there's enemies of God at war. Now I want you to know that he doesn't say that we are at war with other people. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, we're reminded, but the spiritual forces of evil who want to destroy the people of God, to keep us off track, to keep us confused. Now there's a couple, And the goal of this is that we may be able to stand firm. And, and Paul's using this imagery, and it develops a little bit more, of, of a Roman army and being able to stand. One of the ways that they would go into battle is the front line would link arms, and after they linked arms, they would have these shields, and they had these lances that would stick out, and they would advance together as one unit, and when they went together as one unit, they were known to be literally or, or almost indestructible as they would advance, and they were known that if we do this together, we can stand firm and will not be pushed back. We will not be thwarted. So Paul is using that imagery for those who are followers of Jesus and saying, the goal is that you are able to stand and stand firm, not lose your ground, not fall over, not be pushed around in the spiritual world. The goal is to stand. Now, he gives a couple things that are essentials to being able to stand. The first one is this. He starts off, he says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. The Greek word here, be strong in the Lord, actually could be, be empowered by the strength of God's might. So the first thing we need to know to be able to stand is that we are empowered by God's strength, not on our own. We will fail if we go out there thinking that we have it in us to be strong enough to stand against spiritual forces in this world. But we have the Holy Spirit of God who empowers us and who strengthens us but it has to be by God's power and his might. That's where we begin. The next thing is this. He says, put on the full armor of God. There's two things to think of here. One is uh, put on the armor of God. So we're going to look at in just a moment different pieces that will strengthen our faith that God has already given to us. These are things that God gives to us, the gifts that we have. But notice the thing here. He says, put these on. God has supplied you with what you need to be strong, to stand firm, but you need to put these things on. You need to receive them. You need to remember them. You need to put them in play in your lives, not ignore them. The other thing I want you to notice about put on the full armor of God is he says put on the full armor of God, not one piece or two pieces. When I was uh, growing up, I did a lot of snow skiing. I used to ski competitively, and I, I skied a lot in the backcountry throughout college. And I was up in the northwest, and there were days when we get two or three feet of snow overnight. And one thing about me, though, you need to know is I hate being cold. I just hate being cold. And, and people would think, like, why do you hate being cold? You like skiing. That doesn't make sense. But when I was really young, my parents uh, grew up on a farm in northern Minnesota, and I used to work there every summer and. And my grandparents had this farm. And I remember like 5.30 a.m. walking from the house to the barn in the middle of winter. And that's just a cold that, you know, in San Diego, you know, when we say we're cold, I know. It's below 70. I get it. I get it. But that's just a different cold because that's like 70 below, right? So something about it just gets into your bones. It's a different. So I think every time I feel cold, I think I have to milk the cows or something. That's just in me. So I just hate being cold. But when I'd go skiing, people would say, well, I thought you hated the cold. I do, but I wear the right equipment. When you have the right equipment and you're layered and you're prepared for the snow, it's fine. You're fine. But think of how ridiculous it would be if I went skiing and we said, hey, we got three feet of new snow and I put on my gloves, put on my jacket, put on my hat, my goggles. I was all layered up, but I didn't put on my pants. I just went out there with, okay, I switched the image. Didn't put on my jacket. and put on my pants and... (laughs) And I went out there to ski, and everyone would look at me like, you're an idiot, this is not going to work. It would be a miserable day. See, Paul's using this imagery and saying, put on the full armor of God. Don't walk around with just your helmet saying, I'm ready for battle. Don't just have shoes on saying, I'm ready, let's go. He says, put it all on, God's given you the full armor. So the essentials to stand are we're empowered by God's might, and we have a full armor we need to embrace. And put it on. So let's jump in now and look at these pieces of armor. And we're going to look at four of them today. And and we'll finish it up next week. Join with me now in, in verse 14. He says, Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, or putting on the belt of truth, some translations will say, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, taking up the shield of faith, which you'll be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now we're going to stop right there. Because something happens here in the Greek language. He says, what you need to do is, after all these things, I want you to be able to stand. And then he, the next four pieces that I just read about are all attached with participles to this idea of being able to stand. So in other words, he's saying, in, in the way you stand, you need to have these things. Then he changes gears with the last two, with the Helmet of Salvation and Sword of the Spirit, which we'll look at next week. And it actually changes the language. and take these up as if now you, those are for close hand-to-hand combat. But the first piece here is as you stand your ground, having these things in place. Now when Paul's writing, he is writing from a prison cell, likely surrounded by Roman soldiers. So he's looking at them and thinking of the imagery. And I think what he was doing as he thought of, okay, it's difficult to be a follower of Christ. In order to be a follower and to be strong, you need to have truth. You need to have righteousness. You need to understand the gospel, which we're going to get into. You need to uh, have faith. So he's thinking of these things. And I think as he's looking at a soldier, he said, let me make this contemporized, contextualize it, and make it easy for people to understand and so he started picking out those pieces and saying, well, truth is kind of like this. Now, most of us aren't familiar with Roman soldiers. And I was trying to think of a good analogy for North San Diego County. And I thought, well, I could put on some Marine clothes, you know, and dress in combat for the Marines. But I thought, no, I don't want to do that today. And, and I thought, well, what can you do in the surf industry? Not much, board shorts and a board. So that doesn't work. So I, I, I think I chose to do an illustration this morning that's, it's contemporized. Most of us will be familiar with it. Maybe not so beach culture, but it, it works for my world. And so we are um, going to start off, but we've got to start off by putting on the right, uh, the right uniform to start off. So as we get started here this morning, you need to start with God's army um, uniform. So all people know that this is uh, the, uh, the team blessed by Jesus Christ, (laughs) and and thank you, we have a little bit of uh, Fenway Park Green up here, I appreciate that, so so now we're ready to go, so we need to think of ourselves as what do we need to be a part of what God has prepared us for as Christians, and so that's why we use the Red Sox as, as America's team, okay, so... And he starts off, and he says, start off with the belt of truth. Now, I'm wearing a belt, so that works, and these aren't exactly a belt, but let me explain as we go here. So as he starts off and says, belt of truth, part of the Roman soldiers' outfit is they wore a belt, and what the belt did is it allowed all the other pieces of their armor to work. Their belts, you would attach the breastplate, you would attach everything else, and so you had to start with the belt. Without the belt, nothing else would stay up. Now, this won't keep the rest of my armor up, but it is an illustration, so deal with it. And so, for today, this is something that you need to start with if you are going to defend yourself as a catcher. And so, you want to have these things on. Now, the thing about truth is what he talks about, is that truth keeps you from falling. It keeps you mobile. It allows you to be ready for battle. Now, I have to tell you, I have a guilty pleasure a tv show not that any of you out there do but i do and my guilty pleasure tv show is cops anyone ever watch that don't admit it i know you oh yeah all right some some of my people now the reason i like that is because one is one of the the um communities that they always show on there was where my wife grew up And as I started off as a youth pastor, that city is always on there. So I like to check in on former youth group students and watch that. (laughs) But one of the things that cracks me up about it, that I I think is always funny, is that every once in a while you'll see someone who is sagging their pants pretty low, right? And then they get in a police chase. (laughs) And so they're kind of running like this, you know, trying to get away from the police. And every time I see it, I think you put on a belt. Like, if you're going to break the law and steal something, put on a belt and pull up your pants just in case. In fact, if I, was, I would probably wear jogging shorts all the time if I knew that I was going to be wanted. But so, and I think of it as, this is spiritual, seriously, it is. So Paul is using this imagery and saying, without truth buckled in place, you're kind of like sagging your pants trying to run around in battle. You're not mobile. You're easily susceptible to attacks. You actually become pretty worthless. And Paul says we need to begin with the belt of truth. And again, in the Roman soldier's uniform, everything was connected to that. And with truth, it became an unencumbered life. They were not easily tripped up. So when we think of truth, we're thinking of the truth about God, of salvation, truth about ourselves in our standing before God. Paul says, begin with the belt of truth buckled in place. You can live an unencumbered life. Now, when I was in college, I I went to community college for a couple years and transferred to University of Washington. And one of my very first classes, I think it was my first class, was multiculturalism. And the very first day, I quickly learned that this class was about, hey, we all live and exist in a multicultural world, and we need to learn how to live with each other, and tolerance was the buzzword, and, and how can we accept each other. And one other person in this class, kind of one of the days, started speaking out, and, and it turned out that he was a pretty solid uh, Christian and a strong believer in Jesus. And it, it became evident quickly that what the class meant is we're multicultural and tolerant except for people who believe in Jesus. And that whole class became very contentious about that, and I was grateful to have someone else with me in there. But for me, I realized that I didn't struggle too much with a belief in whether God existed. I didn't struggle too much even in belief about things in Scripture because I I, I like to take the intellectual approach, and I really like to study and look through uh, logic and reasoning and history and and human history and all of this, and I think there's good reason to believe that God exists. And so, I that wasn't unwavering, but you know what was, what was really a struggle, was believing that following Jesus or being a Christian was okay. Because the world that I was in, and we we all are in today, increasingly told me that you're irrelevant, you're radical, your beliefs. Religion is the root of all the evil in the world. Maybe you've heard that. And so my truth and a sense of my belief in God seemed secure, but I was wavering on whether being a follower of God and believing that identity was good. And it was really easy to start to loosen that belt and to live a life that was now maybe not so secure, easy to slip. And I've learned through the years that understanding the truth about God, but even understanding the truth about humanity and me, and the fact that we live in a fallen world, there's evil in the world. And it's a result, as Scripture has told us from the beginning, of mankind's continued desire to be God, to put our place ourselves in the place of God, to worship no one but ourselves and what we need. And so we're in a fallen world where evil exists, yet Jesus Christ has made a way to redeem and restore it, and he cares, and he's engaged. The more I can hold on to the truth of my identity and the identity of humanity, the stronger I feel with that belt. The more the other pieces of the armor are in place. The more maneuverable I am, even in my faith. So it starts with this belt of truth. And all of us have things that we have to work through with that. And it's not easy. I get it. It's not easy. So he says, start with truth. And then the next one he says, having the breastplate of righteousness in place. So the breastplate of righteousness, we've got that. I put it on in the first service, and I realized that I am not as small as my 13-year-old son. (laughs) It's just because I've been working out. Otherwise, it would have (laughs) fit. Or something like that. So, breastplate of righteousness. Now, he says that there's righteousness that protects. Now, what does this protect here? It's protecting your heart. According to the Hebrew scriptures and in Greek, they use this idea of the heart is the seat of your emotions. It's a place that where who you are spills out. The phrase that we use is that my heart wasn't in it, or I have a heart for this, or a heart for that, is directly, directly related to the Hebrew understanding of your heart. It's who you are that comes out. And so Paul says we need to protect our hearts, the, the who we are, the core of our being. In order to protect that, we need righteousness. Righteousness is a thing that actually protects and guards our hearts. Now what is righteousness? Righteousness has to do with your right relationship with God. It has to do with you're standing before God. And and there's a couple things that affect that friendship and and relationship with God. The first is this, is unforgiven sin. We cannot be right with God with unforgiven sin in our lives. We cannot be righteous when we have sin that we haven't handed over to Christ to forgive us. But there's good news. According to Scripture, Our righteousness is found in Jesus Christ. He gives it to us. Because of the work that he did on the cross, all we have to do is receive and trust that what he did is enough. And it says that he becomes our righteousness. Look at 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30. I have it on the screen for you. It says this right here. By his doing, by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, In righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So Jesus becomes for us righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And all of these are linked together in other parts of Scripture as one cohesive idea. To be right with God, we need this sanctification and redemption. Now, those are huge churchy words. We don't don't like to always use churchy words without describing them. But this idea of sanctification, is this, it means the process of becoming holy, or a better way to, I like to talk about it, is it's become, having the outside actions catch up with what's happened on the inside. So sanctification is a process of God transforming your actions, your thoughts, and your behaviors to match what has already happened on the inside with the righteousness of Jesus he becomes this for us. So, the unforgiven sin is taken care of by Jesus. But the other piece is this. Righteousness is affected by our outward actions. Any friendship in this room, any of you, if you have a friendship, a relationship, if, with your kids, with your spouse, with a coworker anything, that relationship is affected by your actions. Would you agree? So why would we think that our actions don't affect our relationship, our friendship with God? Though he looks at us and he sees us as people who are forgiven, he sees us as people who can be redeemed because of Jesus. We can have a right relationship with him spiritually because of Jesus. The the sins are forgiven. But our friendship with God is affected. Our right relationship with God is affected by our actions. Paul writes this in Romans chapter six, verse 13. I also have this for you. He says, "Don't do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. Present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God." For sin shall not be a master over you, for you not under the law, but under grace. So God has given you grace. He has poured out his love on you, his forgiveness on you. You didn't earn it. But then Paul says, so why go around using your life and your actions, your behaviors as instruments of unrighteousness or a life that is not right with God, but rather live in a way that's right, that the friendship is in order. I love the way C.S. Lewis says it this in the book Mere Christianity. He says if you've truly handed yourself over to Jesus, it must follow that you are trying to obey him. But trying in a new way. Now get this. Trying in a new way, a less worried way. You're not doing these things in order to be saved, but because he has begun to save you already. You're not hoping to get into heaven as a reward for your actions, but inevitably you want to act in a certain way because the first faint gleam of heaven is already inside of you. You see, we can be right with, our, with God in our relationship with Him as we live out His ways because we're just living out what's already happened on the inside. And when we do that, that actually protects our hearts. We don't go around thinking, oh man, my heart's kind of in this. My heart's really not following God. My heart's following myself or following after my career or it's a little more selfish or it's all built on other things. No, we're protecting our hearts when our concern is letting the righteousness of Jesus shine through us. The right relationship with Jesus. It actually protects your heart and your emotions and the things that you are about. It's protected because of what Christ has done. The next one is this. So he says, have the breastplate of righteousness in place. And then he goes on and he says, have your feet. It says, shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Some translations essentially say, put on the, fi- the shoes of the gospel of peace. And so put on those shoes. And, and I actually forgot my cleats at home. So you're just going to have to bear with these. But the idea is that the Roman soldiers wore these, what we would call cleats today. There were these tall shoes that had spikes on them and you could, like modern day combat boots, you could walk over all this terrain, but even more so, when you were linked arm in arm, you would not lose your ground. It gave you sure footing. You could be strong and stand sure. So Paul says, you want to have sure footing and not slip. We need to remember the gospel and the gospel brings us peace. The gospel is the message of Jesus Christ. And we do believe he's, he's relating this to a, a verse in Isaiah chapter 52 when it says, how lovely on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news or the gospel, who announces peace and bring good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, your God reigns. This idea that there's peace but it comes from the good news of Jesus, the message of him. And that brings peace. You know, we live in a world that We don't always experience peace. Just this week, we were reminded from the terrible tragedy in Orlando. We are reminded that we live in a world where peace sometimes is hard to come by. It's hard to understand. Things aren't simple. It's a world in which the first thing politicians do is make this political. And unfortunately, what some people of faith do is they make it about religion. They say unhelpful things like, well, this is God enacting his punishment on a, on a people group. And we lose sight of what really God is up to and what he's about. None of that fits with the gospel. All of that destroys our peace. We forget that the message, the good news of Jesus, is, it starts with understanding that we live in a fallen world. Evil exists because mankind left to ourselves want what is best for number one, and number one is us. Left to our own devices, we all are selfish people who want what's best for us or maybe those we love the most. And that's the beginning of the fall of humanity, of sin, according to Scripture, and it makes sense logically. And so good news begins by understanding the bad news is that we're all fallen. We live in a fallen world. There's evil everywhere. And the good news is that there's a God, a Creator, Who loves his creation, which is all the people. It's you and it's me and it's every single person who was in that nightclub that night. The Creator God loves them and cares about them. And his heart breaks over the evil that happened that night that took their lives. He didn't rejoice at that. That's not the good news. His heart broke. Because it's a reminder that we live in a world where evil reigns. And when we lose track of what the message of the good news is, it's a fallen world, but there's hope, our ground slips. Our ground slips. We forget that the good news means that God is working to redeem and restore creation. He's making all things new. And there will be a day when all of this is made right. I don't know why He hasn't done it already. I don't know why He allows it in the first place. That's not for me to question. He's given mankind the ability to make decisions. We've made them. There are people who didn't ask for it, but they're on the receiving end of evil throughout our creation. I don't know why. Oops. I don't know why. But the good news is we can believe that Jesus Christ cares, and He has made a way for all us to have respect spiritual redemption, and restoration. And he's called you and me to participate with him in bringing hope and peace in every corner of the world, beginning with our daily lives. That's what he's called us to. And if followers of Jesus joined with God and joined in his mission in the rhythms of our everyday lives, and if all of us started living out his ways, we would see the good news making a difference more and more and more. And when we step back and stuck to the real message of the gospel and not the political side that fits our needs and what we want. See, the problem is a lot of people throughout history have, have turned Christianity into a tool to push different agendas. When God's agenda is there's a fallen creation and the only hope is Jesus Christ for every man, woman, and child. And he desires friendship. With every man, woman, and child. That's the gospel. When we stick to the real news of Jesus, it brings peace. It doesn't make things easy. It doesn't make us say, oh, okay, well, Orlando happened, but I have peace. No, we grieve because the heart of God grieves. But we have peace in knowing we have a sure foundation that God has not left the place. So our feet are secure. Matt Chandler talks about the gospel, and he defines it this way. The good news, the gospel, is that you and I have fallen short. We've worshipped things that are not God. We've belittled and mocked God with our hearts, our mouths, or minds. And God's response to that has been to make a way for us, and for all people, to to be reconciled to God in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So the twofold movement that occurs is that we get Christ's righteousness, and he takes upon himself our rebellion and sinfulness... So when God looks at us, he sees Christ and deems us as perfect and spotless and blameless. When we can hold to this definition of the gospel, the good news, we have sure foundation. Our feet will not slip. We're fallen, but Jesus makes a way. Finally for today, he says, take up the shield of faith, which is able to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. So the best thing we have today here is the shield of faith here. And it is amazing this... Kids today, sometimes the way they throw is like flaming arrows. They are way stronger and better than we were growing up, than I was growing up. And of course they haven't grown up on Kool-Aid and Pop-Tarts, but it doesn't matter. So the shield of faith, that's able to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. The Roman soldiers had these shields that were coated with leather and they would be dipped in water before battle. So that when you'd shoot arrows at them and hit the... The shields, they'd be extinguished immediately. And the front line would be holding these shields that were four feet tall, two feet wide, and they had them on the top too. The next line would hold them over them. So it would be like an armored vehicle moving forward, able to extinguish any arrows shot at you. I want you to notice one thing about faith. faith. Faith is the thing that's out front. Faith is the thing that's stopping the arrows before they even get to the other armor. Faith is the thing that goes before and says, even though sometimes things don't make sense, we have a protection. It's a belief in things not seen. Hebrews 11.1 says this, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is that for us as followers of Jesus, there's times we have to rely on, you know what, I can't see it all. I can't explain it all. I don't understand sometimes. And when the enemy attacks, the enemy isn't probably going to attack a lot of times in big, very obvious ways. But maybe attack your thought life. Make you start to question whether God is real. Try to get you to loosen that belt of truth. Maybe to make you question, maybe my relationship with God is not right, so your heart is unprotected maybe cause you to say, maybe the gospel isn't actually good news, so you start to slip. That's how the enemy gets us to question and to wonder and to fear. All of these things are the attacks on us, but faith goes before us and says when those questions and doubts, not that you can't have questions and doubts, those are great. Have them, work through them, but know that faith in the end helps you. It keeps you strong. It stops those arrows before they get there. This summer, we're going to go through a series called Vintage Faith. It's actually a series through Hebrews 11. We're going to study the stories from the Hebrew Scriptures, from the Old Testaments, of people of faith. We're even going to study some of those crazy stories. Some of the stories where you say, when did they add that to the Bible? I didn't know that was in there. We're going to look at some of those and see what it looks like, people who have faith in action, extinguishing the arrows. So I'm looking forward to that beginning in July. It's going to be a really fun series looking at some of these crazy stories of the Old Testament. But faith is assurance in the things we hope for. Assurance that God is making a way. I'm going to invite Jung to make his way up, and we're going to end with a couple songs here. And as we end, and next week we will get back to finishing the book of Ephesians. And as we end, I want to ask you to consider your own life. Consider your armor. How are you going throughout your days? Are there some pieces of your armor that maybe need a little bit of work? Maybe you need to tighten the belt up a little bit. Maybe you need to remember and be reminded of the gospel. The real good news about Jesus. And your sure footing will be strengthened. Put it the full armor on. Let's not ski down the mountain with just our coat on. Let's put it all on and work through this in relevant, difficult ways. But remember, there's a God above who cares, who's working this out with us, who knows it's not easy, who knows there's questions like what happened to Orlando that are not simple to work through. Knowing that being a follower of Jesus in this world, we're increasingly labeled irrelevant Extreme, out of touch. But it's still a world in which the truth of Jesus Christ and the people of God are the best hope for all of humanity. Let's be that people. So this morning, maybe God's working on your heart and telling you, hey, remember some things. Maybe this morning, some of you for the first time say, I want to follow that God. I want hope in this world. We're going to be praying for you after the service. I'm going to ask if you want to pray with me. I'd I'd love to pray for you if God's working in your heart in those ways. And we're going to end with a couple songs in worship. Um, And so let's just respond, and let's respond with a belief that God is not unaware of your life and mine, and he's called us to continue to participate with him. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time. Thank you for your love. Um, and God, even now as we take the offering, I, I, I thank you that you're a God who, who gives so much to us. Lord, I pray that in this place you'd help us strengthen our faith. God, sure up our footing. Help us put that belt on. Help us guard our hearts, Lord, so that we can be people who stand firm. Stand firm in the ways that you've showed us, not in our ways. To bring hope to the world. We thank you that you are so good, and we give you this time now in your name. Amen.